Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. Remember, you can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. High school sweethearts share their journey of desperation and hope through the beauty of organ donation. And, you know, we're also going to talk about self-reflection. If you're looking at the mirror, who's looking back at you? Ooh, got me thinking. All that and more here on the Gifted Life. Here we go. All right, guys, the Gifted Life Podcast welcomes Lisa and Reed Barker. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having, having us. us. Oh, y'all were in <laughs> sync. Must be Synergy. husband and wife vibes. I like that. So we are Not excited. even in the same place. <laughs> yeah. We are so excited to have Lisa and Reed on the podcast. And actually, um, a couple of months ago, Joey, you took a trip and you came back. I think he texted us while he was out, but he said, we need to talk to this couple. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, so I was visiting Dallas, our, our colleagues uh, just to the west of us. They are part, their transplant centers are obviously, they're part of our, kind of our local. We, we share a lot of uh, organ allocation there. And while I was there, I wanted to visit my friends at Southwest Transplant Alliance, the, the OPO that covers Dallas and a few other areas in Texas, because they built a, a facility much like ours. And so uh, I was getting the, the, the grand tour of, of, the, of the place, which was amazing, by the way. And, uh, and going into their clinical area, I, I was in awe of this, uh, this wall of heroes that they have. So everyone that goes in there gets to see the impact that's, that's taken place there. Nice. And, uh, and of course, you know, front and center was uh, Lisa and Reed's story. Uh, you know, with pictures and things. And so, of course, I had to start inquiring and I said, oh, my goodness, came back and said, we've got to have them on the podcast. And here we are. I love it. So so you guys were high school sweethearts. We were like, oh, yeah. I, I think every time we learned a little bit more, we're like, oh, yeah. like what we do here in South Louisiana. <laughs> we say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is so great. So high school sweethearts, you get married, you're newlyweds. And then Lisa, what happens? Yes. So we um, started dating when we were 17 and dated for several years, finished college, and we got married in 2012. And so, you know, at that time we had our lives planned out like you often do, you know, we'll get married and then we'll wait a few years and have kids. And, um, you know, we always had adoption on our radar. So like, we'll have some biological kiddos. We'll, um, adopt later on, you know, we had our dream careers, you know, you just think, you know, if you have everything planned out the way it's all going to go and a year and a half into our marriage, um, it was Super Bowl Sunday of 2014 in February. And, I just started not to feel well over that weekend and had, you know, an area on my upper abdomen that, you know, would hurt to push and um, typical, you know, man response. Sorry, Reed, but, you know, he's like, well, stop this one if it hurts, you know, like no big deal. And, um, but anyways, that pain progressed. And so um, throughout the weekend, it just got worse and worse. And so that led us to going to um, a hospital in the Dallas area on um, Super Bowl Sunday and, after doing, um, you know, ultrasound, all this 
and they said, well, your gallbladder needs to come out, you know, it's thickened and that needs to come out. And we're noticing something, you know, going on with your liver, but we don't think it's, you know, a huge issue, but we'll double check when we're in there. And so um, we watched the Super Bowl in the hospital and then on Monday um, woke up and had my gallbladder surgery and I had, you know, previously had my appendix out and, you know, for the most part, that's supposed to be a pretty routine and simple surgery. And during that removal of my gallbladder, my surgeon noticed that I had a liter and a half of fluid, which we would find out was bile and that I was in liver failure. My liver was necrotic and we were completely shocked. Um, We were 25 years old at the time Mm. and I had had no other previous health issues um, that I had ever dealt with. And so our, mine was acute liver failure and they sent me for an MRI and we would, um, find out that, um, you know, yes, I was in liver failure and, um, I had a one in a million liver condition called Bud Chiari. And so I had clotted in the hepatic veins of the liver and, Within about three hours of being down in the ICU, you know, the liver had shut down, kidneys were starting to shut down, couldn't find a pulse. Um, so I got care flighted to Baylor, Dallas, um, one of the, the main transplant centers in Dallas, Texas. And um, my husband was told, you know, at that point, it's going to get a lot worse before, you know, before things could get better. Yeah, Reed, what's and, going through um, your mind? I mean, this is like, I'm short of breath because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, what's going to happen next this yeah. is your new wife yeah i mean it was such a surreal thing um just because everything escalated so quickly i mean lisa's doing a great job recapping it but she wasn't really alert for any of this she was you know coming off anesthesia from the gallbladder surgery so she was kind of you know just out of it as i'm having these conversations with these doctors and they're giving me these numbers and you know, really the the one that hit home the most was just that one in a million, because in my mind, yeah. you know, I was just going, there's, there's not cures for one in a million type things, mm-hmm. um, things that they don't see that much. And so, you know, my mind um, and my heart just in, instantly went to the worst case scenario. I feel like just because it seemed like the floor just dropped out from under me almost instantaneously. You know, we came in going, oh, it's a routine surgery. We'll be home in a day. And then you know, it was a dire situation. And so I think when, like Lisa alluded to, when they were trying to find a blood pressure cuff that would pick up her her blood pressure and her pulse enough, um, that's when it really hit home. And then walking down um, and walking out of the elevator with her and seeing her being wheeled out to the care flight helicopter and then just going, okay, by the time that I drive to Dallas with Lisa's mom, is she going to still be alive when I get there? Oof. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just a breaking moment. I remember, you know, kind of going into the restroom there at the hospital before she took off and just kind of sitting down on the floor and just, you know, asking God, you know, you know, what, what are you doing with this? Like, we've put our faith and our hope in you our entire lives. And I just, you know, what is going to be your purpose through this? Mm -hmm. And so kind of had a moment of prayer with our families and then got in the car. We drove as quickly and safely as possible as we could um, to Dallas and then, you know, rushed up to ICU to see Lisa. 
So at this point, you're thinking, you know, again, it's one in a million. So the the, yeah. the chances of her survival is probably that, right? I'd be thinking that in my mind. Mm-hmm. So so right. at what point uh, did they tell you that there was a cure and that it's a transplant, but then, uh, you know, all the things that comes with that? Right. And how did you guys feel when, when you found that out? Yeah, so the first step when we got there was, you know, and everything had escalated so quickly um, and they had gotten Lisa somewhat stabilized, but they told us probably about five minutes after I'd been there that they needed us to step out because they were going to have to intubate her. And so again, just kind of another shot to the gut because mm. I'm going, okay, like, is she going to ever get to a point where she gets to come out of this medically induced coma? And so um, she, you know, they were able to get her stabilized she was making some, you know, progress as far as just being able to maintain those vitals and everything. But then the discussion um, came up that she would need a procedure called a TIPS procedure where they would basically try and buy her time for survival because it was such a dire situation. Um, And we would find out that she would be you know, status 1A, which meant ultimately she had about 24 to 48 hours to live wow. um, if they weren't able to, you know, really step in and do something severe. And, and so, we found out during that time, or you guys did, that um, my acute liver failure was caused by an undiagnosed blood disease that um, we never knew I had. It is mm-hmm. um, one that um, I wasn't born with, not hereditary, but... I lost a signal in my bone marrow that tells your body when to stop producing red blood cells and platelets. And so could have clotted anywhere and it just happened to be in the liver. So y'all had learned that throughout that time as well. Right. So they needed to do this tips procedure where they basically go in and they bypass the liver um, to try and buy time, bypass all those blood clots. And she did great through that. Um, And then everything just happened really fast as the transplant, you know, team came in and they were talking to me about, okay, so this is, you know, ultimately what is going to need to happen. She's going to get placed at the top of the list as status 1A. Um, and, you know, they're flying through this binder. None of it's making any sense. Mm, and yeah. Not that it needed to because, you know, I'm just sitting there going, just <laughs> anything y'all can do to help. Um, is is what we need. Wow. So this is Nyla, and I'm working with our families after donation. You know, so many of our families have gone through a tragedy unexpectedly. So their life got turned upside down just in, you know, moments sometimes. And it kind of sounds like that's what Mm -hmm. happened to y'all. And so to hear your story makes me, you know, our donor families sometimes they don't know what's going on on the other side. They just know their loved one's gift is going to someone that they're wanting to help. But hearing your side of the story and you walking us through the emotions of you going into the bathroom, your faith and trying to hold it together and hang on, um, that's that's a lot. That is a lot that we don't see on the donation side of. Yeah. And did you guys know about, I want you to pick up your story too. I'm with Nyla on that and I want to hear what happens next. But when you hear transplant, did you guys know about donation? Were you pro-donation? Was this like just a a whirlwind? uh, Yeah, an area that you weren't familiar with. Yeah, so I think for both of us, you know, we, you know, had always registered on our driver's license as an organ donor. um, But besides that, never knew anyone, you know, personally that had had a transplant or 
a donor family, the connection was never personal for us. And so going into this, I mean, you know, and I think that's what's hard about acute organ failure is, you know, a lot of times when you're on the transplant list, you know, you have months, if not years to prepare for what life is going to look like. And so for us, it was obviously um, a huge surprise. And so we were literally learning everything after the transplant had essentially happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, I had questions that, you know, just in the direness of the moment, you know, they weren't able to really sit down with me for that long. But in my mind, I'm going, you know, the little bit I do know, it seems like people are on the waiting list for years. Mm, and yeah. um, do we have that? And, you know, they were saying it could be hours to, you know, really days is what the time frame that we had, just because Lisa wasn't going to be able to last that long, you know, with the machines keeping her alive. And so um, after that TIPS procedure, I remember I was just exhausted. I think it was about one in the morning and I'd finally decided I was going to go um, to the hotel that was connected to the hospital to get some sleep. And literally, as I like turned the corner of the hallway, my parents came running down the hall screaming for me going, read, read, they're on the phone, they're on the phone. And um, I just remember like, as I headed back to pick up that phone to talk to the transplant coordinator, it was really like the first time that it hit me that reality that someone else was, you know, losing their life or had lost their life in order for this gift to be given. And Mm -hmm. so it was just like such a weight in that moment as I picked up the phone and I'm talking to the coordinator and they're telling me, you know, we have great news. We have a liver for your wife. And I was just blown away by just the miracle of how quickly um, things had transpired. But again, just under that crushing weight of knowing and then asking, you know, are you able to give me any information? And of course, legally, they can only give you, you know, I think they'd said it's, you know, a 15 year old. It was all that they were able to say. And, you know, again, just the weight of, of that and hearing that a 15 year old had lost their life and that we were going to be, you know, Lord willing, given more time because of that um, was just, I mean, it's such a, you know, a blessing and a just, just terrible thing to be experiencing all at the same time, because you feel so bad for that family while you're trying to also celebrate and be joyful in your own moment. Yeah. And it all happening so quickly, because from what they have told me, um, I was only on the uh, status 1A on the list for 10 hours. So he received that call within 10 hours of me being listed. So she must have been she really was, she was one eight. Yeah. When, when you're, when you're one eight, you're at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, so anyone around within basically 250 to 500 miles, that would have been the same blood type as her, similar height and weight and size and everything. Uh, she would come up to the top of the list, uh, on all of these, of course, which is, which is how sick she was at that time. So clearly you weren't understanding of all this so tell us take us through you know finally you waking up and understanding that you had just yeah had just had a transplant and a donation took place yes so I woke up um my transplant was well I guess we got to the hospital um from the care flight on Tuesday so from Tuesday to Friday I was in my coma so when I woke up Friday 
I woke up still thinking that I had just had my gallbladder out. I had no idea mm-hmm. that I had been careflighted about the TIPS procedure, that I had, had been given a new gift of life and had no idea. And so, honestly, it probably was a couple of days before I full, you know, just coming off of being sedated and in the coma, it was probably a couple of days before I even really grasped or understood, you know, what had happened and what had taken place. And, um, you know, I think like Reed said, it's such this tension of like everybody around you is so happy and it's a miracle. And then um, I believe it was the next week I was, um, you know, we'd had visitors and everybody had left for the day and Reed was just sitting on my hospital bed and, I looked at him and said, someone had to die so I could live. Like, I, and, you know, I started to ask questions like, well, who, who, what we knew she was 15 and a female and, you know, just started asking, like, I mean, she hasn't even finished high school. She hasn't gotten to go to college or fall in love or get married or anything. And um, I'll never forget Reed just looking at me and just <clears throat> wiping my tears away and just said, you know, Christ died so we could all live like that's the gospel. And what she's done for you is the greatest gift that, you know, the greatest last gift that anybody could, could give. And, you know, he's like, we're all, we're all in need of a heart transplant and, you know, our sinful hearts to be renewed and replaced with, you know, the love of Christ. And he said, you know, she's has given you the greatest gift that, you know, a human could give and just how much it reflected um, the gospel. And so you know, recovery, obviously, um, you know, learning about my transplant and anti-rejection meds and what life was going to look like. And we had done a lot of mission work to Africa. And so obviously, you know, that trip that summer and going forward just with all the different vaccinations and stuff wasn't going to happen. And um, with my blood disease and, and all of that would learn we wouldn't have biological children. And so, you know, just all of those life plans that we talked about at the beginning, you know, you think life's going to go a certain way. And then, it completely changes, but now on this side, you know, we would never change it for the world. Um, and just seeing life, you know, in, in a completely new and beautiful way. And so throughout my recovery, I had my donor family on my mind, you know, nonstop. And I just really felt at six months post transplant that I needed to write to my donor family. And, you know, when I first wrote that letter, I never expected to ever hear back from my donor family. I just thought, I just want this family to know like how incredibly grateful that we are and that I'm going to treasure this gift of life that's been given to me. And so, um, you know, I just sat at that kitchen table and it's like, what do you say to someone that, you know, their daughter has given you this gift? And it was like, you know, the Lord just saying like the way you should be utterly speechless that I give you life every day. And so I wrote that letter and prayed over it. We put it in the mail and um, we would get a letter back a couple months later from my donor family. And we would learn that um, my donor's name is Courtney Sterling and she was 15 years old and passed away in a car accident. And um, in the car accident, it was uh, my donor, Courtney, her mom, Dawn, um, was in the front seat and then her older sister, Connolly, who was 20 years old and pregnant, was in the back seat. And my donor mom lost both of her children and her unborn grandbaby in that car accident. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Dawn, Dawn has said this, you know, on news reports. And um, so she is 
you know, totally okay with us sharing this, but, um, and Don's, Don's our donor Don mom. Is, I'm sorry. Yes. Don is my donor mom. Yes. Courtney's mom, Don. And, um, you know, like I said, at six months, it was like, I just need to write this letter now. Like, and I just felt like the mom needed it and it wasn't that the dad didn't, but I just really felt like this mom needs this letter and she needs it now. And so, um, when she received my letter, she received it on a Tuesday and on Friday, she had planned on committing suicide because of just the pain of losing all of her children. And she said she got that letter on Tuesday and just Mm. cried and just said, you know what, Courtney is living on, um, her older daughter Connolly was not able to be an organ donor, but Courtney saved five lives and, she said, you know, Courtney's still living on and I'm going to live for my girls. And now I want to meet, um, you know, as many of the recipients as I can. And so um, they are in the Beaumont area and we're in Dallas, about a five hour drive. And um, we met in November of 2014. So it was about nine months after my transplant, she came to Dallas and we met for the first time. And it's been a very rare um, situation, I think, but we are incredibly, incredibly close to them. They call us their godchildren, and we call them our godparents. Um, they have just become, honestly, like a second set of parents for us, and it has just been, you know, we always say, like, they never wanted to be a donor family, and I never wanted to be a transplant recipient, but it's been such a silver lining for both of us, and it's just... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a relationship, you know, when we're together, sometimes we're like, it's, it's hard to even remember, like, why we're even together, or why we have the relationship mm-hmm. that we have, you know, so much trauma on both sides, but yet so much beauty has sprung from what has happened. Oh, I love you guys. Oh, my gosh. I know, Lisa <laughs> and, and Reed, I mean, y'all's story and like, I, I would, I wish we could just we have tissues flowing in. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I am just so humbled because working with families after donation um, to hear how you sat down and just said, I, what do I say? How do I say thank you? I mean, we just we have so many donor families that, you know, they want to hear from their recipients. They and when they're and, I, and I've approached. So I've been on the front end of families making that decision to give and I I, over and over that decision was made because a family said I want to help someone else I don't want to see someone else go through what we're going through so the beauty of your story the beauty of meeting your donor family and you taking that time um, to to thank them to reach out not knowing what to say and taking that chance you've impacted so many lives just by being Lisa and Reed. Well, thank you. And, you know, I always say like, there's, there's no story without the donor, you know, there's no story without these families. And, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you see the recipients, they're alive, but you don't always get to see that other end of it. And it's like, you know, without what you guys do without, you know, these OPOs. And that's why I love going back and speaking, you know, to Southwest Transplant Alliance and just reminding them like what you do every day has saved my life, has impacted our marriage, our family. And so it's just such a ripple effect, but it all starts, you know, with these heroic donor families. Well, we love the ripple effect and we love that y'all are here to share your story because it's through y'all's experience that others learn, that we learn, that I learn. Um, And y'all's love for, I don't know, just giving and caring and it seems to continue on 
through the rest of your story. So we do want to hear that. Um, I just want to say that the gift in saying yes is so important to us, and we love what we do. So thank you for recognizing that. And we're just so excited Absolutely. as you continue to share the rest of your story with us. From what I understand, so that's not the last of your donation story, if right, If you hadn't Reed? fallen in love with Tim Barker, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> yes, yes, and I'll, I'll, we'll start, you know, just kind of kicking off Reed's story of, you know, you're you're on what we've been through. You know, we know the donor family side, and then obviously me being on the receiving end of that gift. And um, Reed had a former coworker. They had taught together at a school in, in Frisco, Texas, um, just north of Dallas. And um, he, you know, just a great guy. He had had a kidney transplant prior. And, um, so he, he and Reed, you know, had really bonded when I got my transplant of, you know, just kind of having that shared experience of him being a transplant recipient already and kind of knowing, you know, what I was going to be walking through. And he just kind of helped Reed navigate that. And, um, then Reed had moved to a different school to teach, took a different position. And he had found out that John's first kidney, um, he was back in kidney failure and was on dialysis and he was looking, you know, for a living donor and, you know, Reed came home and he said, John told me today, you know, he's, he's looking for another living donor. And he was like, everything in me wants to get tested. And he said, you know, what we've been given and the life that we've been able to continue on, like, if I'm able to give that to someone else, I want them to be able to have that chance. And, um, you know, even with living donation, like it hits differently because then I'm going, okay, well, I, you know, I was going to die within hours if I did not get my transplant. But I think on the living donation side, you know, I'm like, here's my healthy husband with absolutely no health concerns, um, you know, going in to this huge surgery. And so I do think that's important to recognize because, you know, it is such a selfless and beautiful thing that living donors get to do. And even for us, like knowing the gift of it, you know, there's still that like, oh, wow, this is a really huge deal, you know. Um, but of course, without hesitation, you know, I was like, absolutely. And so we just said, you know, we're going to do the first step. We're going to, you know, contact his transplant coordinator and then we'll go to the next step. And if that works, then we're just going to continue to be obedient and follow, um, follow those steps. And so Reed, I'll let you take over what happened next. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, again, like Lisa said, John, uh, my friend and coworker, he's a father of four. And just, yeah. you know, having been through the transplant journey, although ours, although ours was quick and it wasn't years of suffering like many um, hopeful recipients in the quality of life they're going through where they're just, you know, suffering low on energy and, you know, just struggling. Um, John, he would tell me stories just about hooking up to dialysis and just how he didn't have any any energy to really keep up with his kids. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking hearing that. And so, yeah, like Lisa said, just came home. We had our conversation, contacted the coordinator, and, you know, you start going through those steps of giving labs and, we just kind of said, you know, as long as God continues to open these doors, we're going to walk through them. And lo and behold, they just kept opening, went and got all the medical testing done and was told that I was a match. And so we found out really, I guess it was like right before Thanksgiving of 2018. 
And I was like, we got to go tell him now. So we drove to Walmart. I got this poster board, made a sign, showed up at his front door, like a little prom proposal, oh. telling him we were a match. And, oh. <laughs> oh. I want to hang just, out with you guys. So Come cool. on. It was just so cool. <laughs> so cheesy, but it was just such <laughs> a perfect. special moment. Um, just for him, I think just that relief. And honestly, it was kind of healing for me just, you know, the trauma of everything that Lisa had been through. And as a as a spouse of a recipient, there was really nothing I could do other than be there for her through that. But in a small way, this was just healing for me because it was like, although I can't completely, you know, understand what you went through um, and what you go through daily, like taking anti-rejection medicines and everything else, it was just another way, I think, for me to kind of like stand there firmly beside her and say, look, like, I'm fully committed to walking this life with you um, because we are a team Barker. It's not Lisa had a transplant. It's, you know, our family is a recipient yes, family. And yes. so um, just the opportunity to go and tell him. And then from there, uh, December of that year. So just a month later or less than a month later, um, we went in for the operation and it was, it was a success and he is still doing great to this day so wow. i'm just sitting here in awe like i need to do more with my I life know. i don't know <laughs> and well, hang out with the barkers <laughs> i think um, then the the coolest part now um it kind of is continuing which we have you know no idea yet if this would even you know if, if it's even going to be a possibility but um my dad um is actually in kidney failure right now he um oh was in the hospital for 251 days oh um with battling covid and um, COVID actually shut down his kidneys. And so he's on dialysis and, um, Reed and John just celebrated, uh, their four year transplant and anniversary in December. And on that day, John and his wife called me and, um, his wife is actually trying to walk through the process to see if possibly she oh. would be a match for my dad. I mean, this um, sounds like a so, Hallmark you know, movie, know. people. I know. Whoa. <laughs> I know. We Whoa. do that all the time. We're like, this just doesn't sound real. So that's right. at the very beginning oh. stages. Who knows, you know, if they, if that would even work out, but you know, again, it's just that ripple but that they effect. Of the what yes. They yeah. That y'all are just saying yes to each step of life that's coming at you. I mean, this is not easy obstacles. I think I would fight the change and fight yeah. everything coming and you guys just make it sound so easy because you're you're doing it together. Uh, if you want to follow this family, teambarkerdelivered.com. I do want to let you guys know that we have Courtney's picture in here where you're learning about your hero and the ripple effects uh, that have happened because um, of that selfless decision that was made. Uh, and we do want to bring in, because this was something that touched our hearts too, so you guys uh, did these, you know, grandiose things, and then you spend your time trying to save more lives through donation, which we think is great. Uh, but then adoption is also part of your story. You mentioned that at the beginning, like that was part of your your family plan uh, that you were able to reach uh, because of your life story and because of Courtney. Tell us about that. Yes, and you know that's um, that's been our our newest part of 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 our journey. And you know, yes, I think we have used everything that's happened, like just to glorify God. And it's given us a whole new perspective of like, what's important in life. You know, like when you hear people complaining about traffic on a Monday morning, you're like, it's okay. You know, like it just gives you a whole new, you know, perspective on life. But I will say, you know, like, yes, it can probably seem from the outside, like, you know, we've, we've made it 
you know, easy, but there's been a lot of, you know, suffering as far as like not being able to have biological children and, um, you know, just a lot of things have also been taken away in the midst of being a transplant recipient. You know, it, it's such a beautiful blessing, but it's hard too. you know, being immunocompromised. And that's been one of the greatest things for me is my donor mom, um, Dawn, has just always been so supportive of, you know, if you're having a bad day, well, Courtney might have been too. So you can have double the bad, you know, she's just always <laughs> so understanding of the fact that like, it's still hard, you know, on the recipient side as well. And so there has been a lot of suffering and heartache as well. But um, when we knew, you know, we couldn't have biological kiddos, like I had mentioned, adoption had always been on our heart and we had always been missing trips to Africa. And so um, adoption story, you know, very long story short, but after about two and a half years of going through paperwork and, and everything, we actually, um, it was very neat. We went back to Baylor on my five-year transplant anniversary and just to thank the nurses and just, you know, for the nurses too, to see like, you know, what you do and what you give, like this is now a healthy recipient on the other end of being out of the hospital. And so, we went back to thank them and I got an email on my phone while we were there and I, we were literally standing like, you know, feet away from the room where we found out, you know, you can't safely travel back to Africa. You won't have biological kids, you know, all of that. And five years to the date, we got the email that we had been matched with our little boys and Frank was Chills. five years old and mm-hmm. Blaze was um, three and a half. He would be four by the time we brought him home. Um, but five years to the date. And so for us, it was just like, you know, so much had gotten taken away from us and it had been a really hard five years of figuring everything out. But five years to the date, like God redeemed that. And even though I can't go to Africa, he brought Africa home to us forever. Oh. And so oh our babies gosh. have been home for three years, October um, 2019 is when we brought them home. And so we just celebrated three years as a family and you know, that just goes back to donation. Like if I would not have received the gift of life from Courtney, I would not be here. But then also our sweet boys would still be in an orphanage. Um, You know, they wouldn't get to have, you know, a new family and new life for them. And so you just follow that ripple effect of like what she's done. You know, she's Courtney's given Reed, you know, his wife, or we just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary. And um, now we get to have these precious little boys and I'm a mom because oh. of the gift of life. Lisa Reed. Look at your family photo. Like I'm I know. Smiling. Like I, I don't know you. I feel like I, I know you more, but I'm like, I just love them. I just love them. And I feel like I'm about to wiggle out of <laughs> my seat. Precious. They so, are so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the neatest thing is my donor parents, um, my, our boys call them mama and papa oh, and they are oh, a third set of grandparents of for them. Um, oh. They come in, you know, we go there, they come to see us. Reed and I went out of town for our 10 year wedding anniversary this summer. And um, my donor mom actually came in town to, to watch the boys. No, and I love um, so, you know, like it's just, it's been neat and healing for, for them as well. But yes, it's just, it's a really really neat relationship that's continued, you know, for them to get to be grandparents now through all of this. Well, Lisa and Reed, I just want um, for you to tell everybody where they can find your book. I found it on Amazon because that's just a quick button for me and I'll have it tomorrow because I am so excited to just hear more. We don't have enough time to go through the entire book, but we want everybody to learn more about uh, y'all's story and Tell us how we can do that. Hope, faith, yes. Yes, I think um, 
like you said, Amazon is probably the best and easiest place. Or the, I think the Amazon link is also on our website at teambarkerdelivered.com. And then Instagram is another pl- great place to connect with us. Uh, again, our handle is at teambarkerdelivered. Uh, Lisa does a great job keeping up with posts. She's really great with words. Um, me, not as noticed. much, but she does an amazing <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah, uh, y'all make a great team. Job. Y'all do. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. And thank you guys again, just for everything you do, because, you know, I know those, those day to days and, um, you know, what you have to walk into with approaching donor families and the clinical side of it. And, um, I know that that is just a lot and a a lot of hard hours, but I hope you can just see the beauty of, you know, that other side and what you work so hard for every day. So we are very thankful for what you guys do day in and day out as well. Just echoing that and then just also again just thanking those donor families out there um, who might be listening just for giving the ultimate gift and just know that we are extremely grateful and our goal is every day to honor you and your loved ones in the way that we live our lives and we honor Courtney um, and our donor family as well and so also anybody listening who might just have that little inkling to look into being an organ donor or a living donor. Um, I highly recommend just taking that first step of faith and getting more information. And actually our website at teambarkerdeliver.com has a place where you can sign up online to be an organ donor. So fantastic. I encourage that. Yeah. And I don't know that we even told everybody the name of your book, but it's Delivered, Lisa's Story. And Liver is Emphasize. I think that's what got your attention. I'm so mm-hmm. glad you saw that on I the know, wall, right? Joey. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. And <laughs> sign, sign me up for Team Barker. Yeah, so cool, oh, guys. Thank y'all so much. <laughs> thank y'all so well, much for taking the y'all. time. Great story. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we take a moment for mental health. I'm very curious, Nyla. I heard <laughs> something about self-reflection. Oh, I like talking about I'm this. Nervous. Okay. Okay, so, I, you know, I picked this topic because my word for the year is intentional. And the reason for that is I think life is so special. It's so unique. It's so priceless. And working at LOPA, we all know that it's it's limited. There's a start and there's an end. And so my word, intentional, is to really look at life and staying in my lane and what can I do. And so when you think about staying in your lane, we always, my husband, I always talk about him and driving, but <laughs> Oh, George, he's a, gosh, he's a very aggressive driver, and he always wants to critique everybody else in the other lanes mm-hmm. and in front of him and behind him. And so I started That's thinking, how we learn, Nyla. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I can be driving, and I don't even notice the person next to me. And so he can honk and wave, and he'll have to call me and say, hey, I'm next to you. Look. And so I will, and I'll be like, hey. So I think that this kind of comes back to self-reflection. So a lot of times we want to change somebody else, or we want to point out what they could do, or we want to say, oh, I'll be happy if this would just happen. We want to look at other circumstances. But sometimes we just have to stay in our lane and look in the mirror and see who's looking back. And so how can you best do that? I think going back and being a student 
So it's been a long time since I was a student, like in elementary. And I, that can be scary, just you saying that. Made I, me I a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but then I looked up some descriptive words of what it is to be a student, and it's alert. Students have to be alert. So it's having to be aware of yourself um, and adaptable. So sometimes we're going to find things out about ourselves that maybe we don't like. So, But we have to be able to be flexible with that. Dedicate it. Dedicate it to knowing that, like, are we happy with ourselves? And if we're not, then what do we want to do about it? So it's just these kind of words to kind of get us thinking about who we are. So when you do look in the mirror, who's looking back at you? And um, I don't know, like have, finding a mentor can help you discover that. Asking other people, looking at how other people respond to you, looking at the mirror. So in our world today, I feel like we're always looking at other things. We're looking at Netflix. We're looking at social media, which is a comparison. Mm -hmm. Looking at our phone, looking at the work we have to do on the computer. So I think sometimes stopping and maybe getting into nature and just trying to take some time for ourselves because I think we're all really special and life is so special and being intentional about who we are and where we're going can, um, it can really be a blessing to someone else. I, I like the, the intentional piece, you know, it's, it's having a two year old, of course, uh, and at this late of an age, you know, that I've, I've had her, you know, basically in my late forties and, I recognize that every moment, you know, for me, again, you talked about the, what the work that we do is, is you see how precious life is, how finite life is, how there's the absolute end. And so every night, every time I, I, I you know, I, I get home from work, you know, I, I go pick her up, get home from work. I make sure that my time with her is as intentional as I can make it. Like I yeah. know there's certain, I might have text threads going on. Uh, I might be interested in a text thread or something on TV. And I, sometimes I'll put things on just in the background, but to be focused in on, in that moment, to be intentional, I feel, and I know, you know, you talked about self-reflection too, but the intentional piece, I try to be as intentional with her as possible so she doesn't miss out on any. See, I think that's beautiful, Joey. And, and that's what this is all about. It, it's if it, it's being aware of conversations. And if something grabs you, then be open to that and, and say, why does that grab me? So there's something, you know, in your life right now to, to reflect on being intentional. That's that's where your focus needs to be. But I would also say if somebody said, Joey, who are you? I mean, you're a father. You're you're you know, a husband, you're a relative, you're, you know, our leader in, in the clinical world at LOPA. And all those things are a part of you. And so it's just kind of discovering who you are. So if I am pointing at Lori to That tell, makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and instead of pointing at her, I always can look, I've got three fingers pointing back. That's an old saying. Yeah. I think it is, but it's a powerful saying. So it's kind of like looking at you. What kind of father can I be intentional? Mm-hmm. You know, and what kind of employee can I be for Lopa? And then looking at what I can do in my lane instead of judging other people mm-hmm. in, in the other lane. Good lesson. And lives are so busy and so structured. And so during the holidays, I had some downtime to reflect on, on just that and just what you're, you're saying and trying to be more intentional for my family, for my husband and for me, which is hard to do. So got to find that time. 
All right. Thank you, Nyla. Do you have a topic you'd like us to cover here on The Gifted Life? We'd love to hear from you. All you have to do is email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, and thank you for sending in these questions, um, Joe, I'm going to pass this on to you. When I die, if I become an organ donor, how does that work? What costs do y'all cover? And as far as transferring my body back and forth, how would I get buried or cremated after that? So we like that you're thinking about donation and we have some answers for you. Those are all great questions. And I'll start off from the top on on, organ donation, obviously, was a question. But just to to, uh, distinguish organ donation and tissue donation with organ donation, it's someone who uh, will pass away in a hospital and will be on a ventilator with tissue donation. It could be anyone who's died of either brain death or uh, cardiac death that could be in a hospital or coroner's office or even referred from the funeral home. In all of those situations, our preferred uh, recovery location is our LOPA office, our donor care center here in Covington. And in all of those situations, we would we would pay for the cost of transportation, both to the our donor care center and back to where the body's uh, the disposition of the body in that situation, whether it's going to be the coroner's office or the funeral home. Of course, we can't cover the funeral costs because that would be uh, potentially viewed as financially incentivizing the donation, which we can't do. So we do pay for the everything that that entails that affects the donation process. We we cover all of those costs, including again the transportation. As far as the the burial or cremation, nothing that we do from an organ donor standpoint or a tissue donor standpoint affects either an open casket viewing or a burial process or the cremation. They may get delayed a day or two just for the donation process to take place, but nothing as far as the viewing or the the cremation and the burial. We want to thank our listeners for for this question. That was a great question, and I actually hear that often when I'm talking with families. Um, So we always want to refer people to our website at lopa.org, where we have additional resources. And you can always uh, give us a call at 504-648-3477 and ask for family services. Um, Or uh, send us a question. We'd love to hear from you. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Courtney Sterling. And we learn about Courtney from her family and friends. Courtney Sterling was an outgoing and friendly freshman at Lumberton High School in Texas. She was active in her school's color guard and played the flute in the band. Courtney loved the outdoors, especially the beach, boating and four-wheel riding in the mud with her friends. She never met a stranger. Her schoolmates remember her as the first person that talked to them on their first day of school and made them feel safe and welcomed. Many of her friends would go to her for advice with their life problems. In addition to her friends, she adored her family and was very excited about being an aunt and was looking forward to her nephew Tyson being born. In February 2014, Courtney was driving with her sister and mother when their car was hit by a speeding driver. The accident killed Courtney's pregnant sister, Connolly and put her mother Dawn in the hospital for nearly two months. Courtney was also taken to the hospital where she later passed away. Amidst this great tragedy, Courtney's father, Michael, made the decision to donate his daughter's organs, later learning that Courtney had intended to register as an organ donor as a celebration for her 16th birthday in October of that year. Through organ donation, Courtney saved five lives. 
Her parents have since had the opportunity to meet four of her recipients. Organ donation has been a silver lining in the midst of their tragedy. Dawn Sterling is an active volunteer advocate with Southwest Transplant Alliance and coordinates Donate Life Texas registry tables in her hometown to raise awareness for organ eye and tissue donation and to share her daughter's inspiring story. We pause and say thank you to Courtney for the gift of life. And that's going to do it for episode 205 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. Huge thanks to Team Barker. They Lisa. took us on a journey. I know, right? Lisa and, and Reed coming on. What a story. Yeah. You know, of course, you can tell from the beginning they're wonderful people giving people and then to have curveballs thrown at them like like that, that were thrown at them and then just to handle everything with such grace Stand and strong. Yeah. be strong and then and then they continued to move forward to give more what can we do next it's just amazing to hear people like that in 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 on this podcast and helping us learn honoring yeah. their hero like wow yeah Oh, I'm still in awe. I mean, I know you're looking at me and I'm just like, I mean, what do you add to that? Like you said, they just took one obstacle after another and figured out what they could do about it instead of letting it take over their life. Wow. Mm -hmm. I like it. Beautiful people. We hope that you uh, share this story and others, the other stories that you hear on The Gifted Life. The best place to do that is on our website, thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find us. On social, you can like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at gifted life pod thanks for spending some time with the gifted life podcast crew we certainly appreciate it and our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen have a good one this is a production of the louisiana organ procurement agency or lopa the gifted life is hosted by Lori Steele, joey boudreau and nala schwab our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>